Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the College Football Insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. Find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. And become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we got Ishmael Johnson here. Ish, how you doing? Yo, man, what's up? Nothing much. Well, unlike usual, we have a special guest this week with us, too. We got Corey Hogue. Corey, how you doing? Doing great, Sean. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Well, as people may know, if you, if you keep an eye on TexasFootball.com, which is something you should do, by the way, uh, you might know by this point that the Western Athletic Conference has officially expanded. Realignment is here at the FCS level, and and it could only be the start based on some of the stuff that we're hearing. You know, let's get started with that. A group that we're calling the Texas Four is moving over from the Southland Conference to the Western Athletic Conference, the WAC, as, as some people, of course, might remember, uh, you know, from their time hosting TCU and all sorts of other schools. But the four schools that are moving over and, and starting basically an FCS football league are Sam Houston State, Stephen F. Austin, uh, Abilene Christian and Lamar. So, Corey, when did this all s- sort of start to happen, and uh, and what's kind of the dynamics behind all of this going on? Well, according to Abilene Christian's athletic director, Alan Ward, he said it all started really in earnest about six to eight months ago, uh, which seems odd because the pandemic was raging during that time, but <laughs> the, the guys seemed to think that this was the time to uh, make a move if they were going to. There has been a lot of disagreement shall we say within some of these conferences and one of those being the Southland and the pandemic kind of made some of this really come to the front a little bit more to the forefront and so the Texas what I call the Texas four plus one because Southern Utah is also announced they're going over so yeah the Texas four plus one they they decided to move over uh, to the WAC and uh, boy that leaves the Southland conference uh, looking and searching right now. Yeah, and you mentioned it, so Southern Utah is coming over. The timeline for all of this, uh, the Texas Four are expected to move over for the 2021 season because of, and I'm sure Corey can give us a little bit more on this, uh, some drama in the Southland Conference. Uh, Southern Utah will be moving over in 2022, and they are there in addition to two programs in Tarleton State, which is a Texas program, and Dixie State transitioning from Division Two to Division One. Um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously – the WAC at one point was a very powerful football conference. Obviously, they were an FBS conference. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, Ladanian Tomlinson played in that conference. They'd been uh, an FBS level. That was when uh, Boise State's rise was. Uh, they played in the Fiesta Bowl as a member of the WAC uh, against right. Oklahoma. Right, right. So, I mean, this is, this is a historic football conference that through 2012 and through sort of that realignment when a lot of those programs left for the Mountain West, they, they were a major football conference. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting, I guess, that now of all moments, you know, kind of when things are at their most unpredictable, this is the moment that they choose to bring back football. Yeah, and you mentioned the Southland and kind of some of the insides as to what happened with that. Why these Texas four schools are moving over at the end of this academic year yeah. really came as a shock. And the WAC was not actually going to make this announcement for a few more weeks, even though we knew this was coming for a few months. We had heard back in mid-November they had to accept the bid. But here you have the Southland having a meeting a couple weeks ago from what I understand was a very contentious meeting. Uh, A lot of words said, a lot of feelings expressed. 
uh, we will say it was uh, not very nice. And the Southland voted to boot out the Texas Four at the end of this academic year, which then pushed the WAX timeline up to announcing the Texas Four plus one moving over. And also that they're going to start football apparently in 2021. They're still trying to – it's not official, but they, they said they're going to have it together in time to do that. Uh, and the other thing, Shahan, is they're not done. Uh, they want to add more. And they're looking in 10 years. They're, it was very – um, not not a big secret at the press conference that they're looking to go FBS again within 10 years and really get back into their standing. Well, I think one of the things that uh, when you go to the, the Texas Four, I kind of want your insight because, you know, I have my opinions. And I've talked to Shahan about, you know, some of my opinions and thoughts behind it. We we got the the very clean cut, you know, this is great for, from all the 80s, like this is great for our, you know, expansion, and our brand and blah, blah, blah. And basically what the question I'm trying to ask is, was this just these four schools being afraid that Houston Baptist, UIW and New Orleans were putting money into their programs? There was a lot of contention between these four schools and those programs and those schools. Uh, you know, they felt the Southland, according to them, that the Southland was not was not athletic focused enough. Mm. And so I think for most of the schools, for Stephen F. Austin, for Abilene Christian, this really makes a lot of sense because mm. basketball is their best sports a lot of times. That's where they've made a lot of uh, their movement. And so they now join the WAC, which is a legitimate basketball conference, and it, to me, that the Southland is a one-bid conference. You mm-hmm. have to win the tournament to get in. This allows those schools, especially Abilene Christian and Stephen F. Austin, to get into a, a conference with New Mexico State Grand Canyon, and that becomes a two-bid conference right off the bat. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it was um, ACU's athletic director, Alan Ward, talked about kind of their ceiling as a basketball conference, you know, going up. Because I think uh, you asked, I remember you I was there in the press conference, you asked about, you know, the men's and women's basketball teams being the top of the Southland right now. And he mentioned, like, you know, every mid-major wants to be Gonzaga, right? Where it's like, you know, and Gonzaga, I guess St. Mary's kind of run that conference. And so, like, eventually if those two schools have good years, you know, only one has to win the tournament, but the other one's going to get in probably either way. And so, like, SFA and ACU can now bid for that spot, Um potentially for them so yeah yeah, it made sense and I guess when you're also recruiting from like again I have nothing against Huntsville or Nacogdoches but when you're competing when you're recruiting to Nacogdoches to Huntsville to Abilene compared to San Antonio Houston New Orleans like it is another hurdle that you have to do um granted we like a lot of the guys that you know are recruiting to there Keeler and Carthel's obviously having not having issues recruiting to those cities but it is another hurdle when you're having to recruit against programs that are now starting to use their metro market areas to their advantage see and i will i will push back though because i do think that one thing that's been that's been interesting and this is not something that's unique to the southland um i think this is something that's happened with football in general and actually i think Mm -hmm. conference usa is the better fbs version of this is you know i think that there was this idea that metros were the way to go you know that Mm -hmm. that if you tapped into a metro if we got some program that had access to a metro that was the path that's how we were going to you know expand our market reach but one thing i think that that we figured out right and i think that i think that we've realized that yes access to markets is important um but more than anything i think that we've seen that even if you are a school like 
Well, I, I, I point to SMU before, right? Like SMU mm-hmm. had all this access to arguably the biggest talent pool in America, in DFW, right, for all these years. And it didn't matter. But, you know, what they've done differently now is obviously, one, they have a strategy. I think that's obviously a big part of it is having a strategy and identity. But, um, but in addition, you know, they're starting to try to engage with the city mm-hmm. and with their fan base in a way that they didn't before. And so, you know, I think that, I think that one of the things, right, with the Southland is that they don't have a great identity, you know, they don't have a great vision for what the conference should be. You know, like, like Corey was mentioning, they're, they're sort of an athletic conference. They have some really good athletic teams. But, you know, if Sam wasn't really playing at the top of their level, nobody else was really competing for that top-level football program. And, you know, I think that um, – and obviously with basketball, too, it, it's a one-bid league. You know, SFA and, and ACU are probably the two teams that are really trying to fight to try to get in there. And, you know, obviously Corey mentions with the basketball – um, but, you know, I think, I think also with football, you have more of an identity now. You have, uh, with the schools that are here now, you have a geographical identity that I think that, um, you know, where all the schools that are going to play football are schools that invest in football, that care about playing football at a high level. And I think that's true with basketball, too, where, you know, the, the, you obviously have the, uh, the SFA and the ACU, but you're adding that to Grand Canyon, a school that says we want to be a basketball power. You're adding that to New Mexico State, a, a, obviously a program that has invested a lot. So I think that the big thing, um, and actually, you know, to go back to, to what Corey was saying about wanting to move to, F- to FBS, that's the one thing that doesn't make sense to me because I don't really see mm-hmm. hardly any of these schools as being ones that, uh, that should necessarily do that. But, you know, when I look at this, I, I see a, a, a conference that is better aligned geographically better aligned from an equivalent investment perspective. Uh, And and I think, um, you know, I I think is going to potentially be sort of a, obviously with with basketball, potentially a two-bid league. But I think with football too, you start looking to the playoffs and thinking this could be a league that potentially sends more than one team to the playoff. And you just hit on one of the two big, big things right there. Uh, The the two things – from the press conferences the day they announced. And then the next day, Abilene Christian had another press conference on campus with the basketball coaches. The, the things I'm taking away from the athletic departments are one travel, geographic location. Now they're not really having to leave the state of Texas for any sport not named football and men's and women's basketball. And, and let me just jump in there and say, um, you know, with one thing that they did say is that be, they are splitting into a very divisional based right. uh, structure when it comes to non-football and basketball sports so like Corey was saying basically every team in the WAC uh, for a sport that's not basketball or football will only play against those teams that are also in Texas yeah and and that was a big big part of this because it lessens travel costs in a lot of the non-revenue making sports for these schools the other thing I think that um was a big part of it with the recruiting is it expands the geographical base for these schools uh talking to uh julie good enough and um the men's coach golding joe golding talking to them that they they hadn't really recruited outside texas oklahoma and any further west of new mexico and it's the same for football when you think about it now they have the opportunity they're going into california they're going into Utah. They're going into Arizona. And guys, do not be mistaken. Arizona is a hotbed of football and basketball recruiting. It is, uh, to my opinion, it's become one of the big challengers for high school, high school athletes being produced out of the state of Arizona in football. 
Yeah. And, and one thing actually, you know, Ish, I want to ask you about is, you know, I think that one thing that we've seen uh, over the past 10 years, and we obviously saw it with Texas State coming up to FBS. We saw it with UTSA existing as a program, obviously. Well, now all of a sudden you have, first of all, Tarleton moving up. And I think Tarleton, from a recruiting perspective, is going to be uh, among FCS teams really quickly, I think, one of the top end recruiting schools. Um, I'm curious, you know, we hear all this about, well, there's enough talent in Texas to, to get by. I'm curious now, you add that, you add potentially now the Utah schools are probably going to recruit in Texas too, now that they're part of the WAC. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how do you kind of see that affecting the recruiting landscape of the states? Yeah, I think it, the, the concern to me is now it becomes, I think there's only, there's only room for so many big, good schools at once. Right, right. right. Um, eventually yes when you do i mean we've i guess to look uh, zoom out and kind of look at it another way the kind of plateauing of tcu mm -hmm. is kind of a good indication to me is uh, of where this is kind of going to be headed forget that i would point at texas tech specifically specifically fair, fair, fair enough either either or we can go i mean this goes to show we can for go sure, multiple sure. examples here um i think that obviously when Ohio State and Alabama even start reaching in for the elite talent. So, okay, so then the elite talent no longer goes to Texas or Texas A&M only. So now A&M and Texas are looking maybe a little bit lower than they usually did. Well, that's TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor area. So now they're looking low. And so eventually, right. like, you just keep going down the totem pole. And, yes, we are a deep state full of talent everywhere in this, re in this state, um, in all regions. I think that – Everybody on this call can can attest that you know there's still some under recruited regions right El Paso, West Texas, Panhandle, uh, uh, RGV. Um, Corpus, yeah, yeah Corpus area. Not much longer. Yeah, I was about yeah, I was about, yeah, it's fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> we can get to that in a bit. Um, but now you start seeing, I mean, Colby Carthel's reaching for SFA, and it's all of a sudden it's like, oh, SFA is now competing for guys that probably would have gone to Texas State or UTSA or North Texas or maybe Baylor. You know, so it just slowly starts to drain the talent pool. And I wonder at when, when all of like in 10 years, right. When we look at the landscape and this competitive landscape from FCS to FBS, wherever these schools are, where the power shift is, where the power dynamic is. I think we can all ex uh, obviously assume that the big schools will be at the top, but what's the middle and the bottom look like, right? What does North Texas look like in 10 years? What does Texas State look like in 10 years? What does Tarleton, you mentioned, what does Tarleton look like in 10 years? Are they competing for those same guys? And I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know. Like there, eventually there's going to be some schools left out of the talent pool and they're right. going to be suffering and they're going to have, I mean, Again, in the next 10 years, they're probably going to have some programs that are be looking at, you know, looking at themselves in the mirror saying, you know, what financially, you know, what, I don't want to speculate on which ones, but I think there are going to have to be some programs. We're seeing some in Louisiana right now that might have some Big come to time. Jesus moments. Yeah, <laughs> come to Jesus moments with their uh, financial situation. So, <laughs> Shout yeah, out to Terry Bowden. <laughs> Right, yeah. Shout out Terry Babbitt and ULM. <laughs> no, and, and one thing, one thing that I think is going to be interesting too, and, and Corey, I want to I want to follow up on this in just a second with you, but um, you know, I think that it's really going to be those programs right now. I, I think that the biggest places that are hurting are the non-metros in terms of recruiting, right? Like, yeah. obviously, I, I think that, um, you, you know, I think that there's going to be every school is going to recruit everywhere. But for example, I mean, the reason that I point to Texas Tech especially is because I think that we are seeing a drain of 
people, first of all, but also like recruiting talent out of West Texas, right? I think that more people are moving to the metros, are moving to Houston and Dallas and Austin and, and San Antonio. Um, and, and I think that, you know, now you also look at that recruiting landscape. There used to be a time when Texas Tech just plucked any West Texas kid that they wanted. First of all, because, um, you know, they're power five, but also, you know, because nobody else really fought them for recruits out there. Um, right. Now they had to make an OC hire just to keep Baron Morton. Like they had, right. they had to make sure that they changed their entire scheme right. and, to keep and, their homecoming their and, uh, hometown kids right and tcu you know in terms of <clears throat> let's think of this from modern recruiting era you know so about 2000 on right like in terms of the modern recruiting era tcu being there tcu's been taking priority over texas tech now even with some west texas kids and then you add like you mentioned the different levels of uh of obviously um tarleton of abilene christian obviously starting to have better and better programs uh and not to mention Honestly, the, the Angelo States, the WTs, not that they're fighting with those types of programs at, at Texas Tech, but it's just like you mentioned, it's a top to bottom thing. And, and actually, that does sort of get me to my question for Corey, which, you know, it, it seems like what you're looking for. And one of the things like, uh, like you look at Georgia right now, right? Georgia's growing so much because the metros are growing. Uh, and Texas even, you know, you look at DFW in Houston, they're growing so much, which is why I think, you know, we still have so much talent coming in. But Arizona, I think, has been a place that has had a whole ton of tr- uh, of people moving there that I don't think that people have noticed or, or I don't think people understand that much. Do you see that being a direction that the WAC potentially looks to? Huge direction. Uh, it is. I mean, Arizona, it, it really is a recruiting hotbed, and not just for football, basketball, baseball. You look at all the major drafts, you're getting t- first round talent that went to high school from the state of Arizona more than California now. So really you've got a, a Florida, a Texas and an Arizona. This allows the wax schools to tap into two of the recruiting hotbeds. And it really kind of keeps some of the Southland that's staying behind out of it. And, and you guys are talking about the recruiting and you're so right. Cause what I'm seeing from the D two level is they're not recruiting they used to recruit the three a's four a's five a's so they're they're recruiting them but they're going trying to find those diamonds at the two a level you know and the really talented three a players that they can get in there that that aren't that aren't quite fcs and then from there you get d3 it really affects the d3 talent level from there because the d2's taking what's left over from all the d1s so it really is and then who knows what's going to happen sean because you know there's a fallout from this with the southland and like i said earlier the southland's looking they were very public they're very public about it they put out a press release about looking for new schools and uh they went after Prairie View A&M and Texas Southern, and they were immediately shot down by those two schools who were going to stay in a, a very much expanding SWAC conference. It's becoming a powerhouse, by the way. Um, and so now, where are they looking? You know, there's nothing definitive, but you can't tell me they're not looking at the, the Lone Star Conference schools in Division Two. Yeah, and that's something that we talked about a little off air. And obviously, I want to preface all of this with, nothing's decided nobody's accepted anything like this is all speculation at this point but i think it's speculation pure speculation but you know i I think that one thing that's interesting that we've talked about and i think both of us have heard a little about is um is you know is that idea that that the fcs conferences at the southland and maybe even the WAC could potentially look to the lone star conference And, and 
I, I don't want to ask you specifically about that. What I want to ask is this. Is the idea of Division II football in general becoming less attractive where you have, you know, Division I where obviously you get the access to Division I resources and all that versus D3 where you, you at least don't have to pay scholarships? Is the idea of D2 football in this state potentially changing? I think D2 football nationally is changing, and it's because of what you said. The financial opportunities are not there for D2. D3 is not paying scholarships. They take a lot of that scholarship money. They're putting that into facilities. And let me tell you, these as I travel around, these D3s have got some gorgeous facilities, way better than what you see at some of the D2 schools. Uh, the big thing is for D2 schools to get to D1, they have to commit to the scholarship levels. Uh, in football, it's 36 in Division II, 65 in, in FCS. And not all D2 schools are funding the full 36. And so, you know, right now Tarleton's going through, they have a plan over their four-year transition to get to funding the full 65. But if these schools are having a hard time funding 36, if they really have the intention to move up to D1, they have to make the commitment to fund the full amount of scholarships. And that to me is going to be the big key because if, if the money is good enough coming in, then maybe they can do so. And it seems to me from some of the talk I'm hearing, they think it is. They think the money, why it would be worth, they get more TV contracts. You get more ESPN Plus games. You get more things like that that it's not really there in D2. You know, you get one Division II football game on ESPN, uh, ESPN3 a week. So they think that, that would the revenue from that would be better, and they think they can get better revenue from sponsorships around town also. You know, Ish, uh, when you look at this movement, when you look at – I, I know the one thing that we've heard a little bit about before is that, you know, earlier in the past, so much of realignment was the top made their decisions and then mm -hmm. everybody in the bottom scrambled, right? right? Well, now you're in a position where first – you know, the WAC is the first conference at any Division One level that's all of a sudden making the decisions and saying, this, we are staking our claim. This is what we think we can be long-term. Mm -hmm. How do you see this impacting the rest of the country on the way up? That's a good question because I'm kind of I'm trying to think of what the next I mean the next domino to fall has to be the Southland has right? to what, be. what whatever they do next, and so I'm wondering if if a lot of especially in the FCS outside of the Southland they just more or less stay pat um, because it's it's a pretty volatile that was a pretty obviously this is a volatile situation where it's like hey we're gonna basically nuke this conference <laughs> move over here and you know this other conference is gonna have to you know annex from you know promote these other programs potentially and remember uh, from division two i'm sorry guys and remember central arkansas has yeah. already announced they're leaving and going to the atlantic sun yep. so the southland was already starting to reel from that announcement and now they lose four more Right, right, and so I'm real. I'm I'm curious to see. I, I I don't know. I don't have a definitive speculation on that because I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of Southland conferences right now are just trying to hold onto their eggs. Because a couple of years ago, you know, when it was the early 2010s, um, you know, it was a lot of it was Texas State, UTSA moving up, UMass, and all these other programs. And uh, you know, uh, when the WAC dissolved, they were trying to figure out what they were doing and 
there was a lot of scrambling and I don't know if they want, if they want this to be another domino effect to where, you know, all of a sudden it's a power scramble in the FCS to try and preserve what they have at that level. They want to keep uh, Southland's going to have to keep football because right, right now, right. I mean, FC, FCS level, it really is exploding guys. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is below FBS of course, but there is a, lot of interest in fcs football and we were talking about the difference between that and d2 mm-hmm. d2 is hosting their national championship game at a high school stadium you know which is a nice high school stadium but mm-hmm. fcs has a sock that frisco that toyota stadium in frisco yeah. and it's it a nice is facility. a big it's a gorgeous I, i'll tell you it's what a big deal I'll tell you what, we, uh, we obviously, um, you know, me and Ish live in the Metroplex, Corey's, you know, obviously in Wichita Falls, so he's here a lot. Uh, I mean, once January comes, there is North Dakota State stuff everywhere yeah. in Dallas. <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know, so people, people really do travel for this. And I mean, that's the thing too, right, is like, I know, for example, I, I started here at Dave Campbell's the year after A&M Commerce won a national title, right? And, mm-hmm. and there was excitement, but like, I didn't know about it, right? Like, yeah. When Sam Houston State was even in the in the quarterfinals or the semifinals, right? Like you heard about that in mm-hmm. Texas, just as a casual football fan, in a way that you just don't. And I mean, like obviously Mary Harden Baylor kind of gets that attention because they've won three, you know, two or three titles, right? But mm-hmm. it's not like that, right? It's not like that. Right. And I think like you look at the other programs that are still in the South. I mean, McNeese, a very proud football program. Uh, Nichols, Nichols, just as a couple years ago, is a really, really good football program. Right. Uh, Northwestern State. I remember uh, Texas State, Northwestern State have an old rivalry going back to when Texas State was in the Southland. Like there are proud football history. There's proud football history in that conference still. And they still have to find a way to exist because they're not going to get, there are some schools that will, you will close the school down before you close some of those programs down. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of money in that. Like we were talking about, money drives everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you talk about the playoffs, you know, now the WAC has what's been a lot of the playoffs in the upper right, upcoming teams too. I, I put SFA in a fast rising school. Right. Sam Houston State's in one of the top schools. You still have Nichols, they're, they're always atop the conference, and McNeese is trying to get back there. Uh, but that, that money that comes from just making the playoffs, the exposure you get, we were talking again with D2, D2 playoffs are not all on national TV, whereas every FCS playoff game is on some sort of ESPN platform, and, and that's that exposure is huge for these schools. Yeah. And, and I think that heading forward, that consolidation could be something that from a TV perspective ends up being a winner because, you know, like you mentioned in division two, you have these great schools, these great schools that I lo- enjoy watching a lot. And I know Corey, you're, you're a lone star conference guy at heart, but yeah. you know, if you take the schools who really want to be invested in football because that's not everybody even even the schools who are at the fcs level not everybody's able to be invested truly in football you know i mean if there's sort of a consolidation of those schools i think maybe in the long run it could be a good thing for for general interest of small college football even if obviously i think for all of us you know we're gonna miss being able to have some of those stories at the d2 level but you know maybe you sort of have a rebirth at that d3 level for example you know where maybe you're able to compete better who knows but i'll tell you what it reminds me of yeah it it reminds me of when tarleton and msu and a lot of the now lone star conference schools were in ai you know and the and so there was a, a movement in the 90s for 
MSU and Tarleton to move up to Division Two, uh, and that's they joined you know Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian, you know, their history goes back a long ways. These, these schools have been together for so long. Some of them were junior colleges together, <laughs> so it's kind of been a natural progression. And that these rivalries, that, that's the cool thing about the small colleges. And, and one thing I love so much is that the rivalries run so deep and so long. There's so much history behind these. But the level of play hasn't been the thing that's mattered the most. It's been that they've had that rivalry. And this just seems like the next step since, uh, I mean, a large, there was in the 90s was a lot of movement in the small college schools. And the Lone Star Conference benefited from that and has since. They're going to have to fight to hang on to it now. Well, Corey, let's get you out of here on this, okay? This is a very general question. Obviously, so much is subject to change. Uh, and so we're not going to lock you into anything. But if you are watching this, what do you think that all of us should be looking at for the next move? Should we be looking at the Southland to expand? Should we be looking at where the WAC goes next? Should we be looking at movement at these lower levels? Where should we be looking next? Look at the Southland and the WAC. The WAC put in their press conference, the last sentence was, they're still looking to add another school. Who is that? I mean, Weber State is an FCS candidate that, that makes sense for them geographically. But another good basketball program. Another good basketball program. Dame but I wouldn't Lillard. rule out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't rule out a Texas school being included in some of that. And, and who knows? The WAC is very forward-thinking, and they don't let themselves get – boxed in so they will do whatever it takes to get everything in there and if you added a west texas school maybe i don't know a ut permian basin or somebody like that they would actually geographically fit better in the with the arizona and utah schools travel wise than they would with the texas schools hmm. so that's one thing to watch you know utpb west texas a&m all the southland i i think southland is going to expand they announced they are they hired a firm. They are searching for it. And I know that they are actively in talks right now with schools. Um, I would pay real close attention over the next few months. And this may move real fast because the Southland booting them out before the fall of 21, they barely have enough football schools to, to be an automatic qualifier for the playoffs. They're going to want to add. They're going to want to before 2022 comes. So, that transition can, can take a good year at least. So I would look to some announcements coming June, July, August timeframe before fall football starts. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see where they turn to because if you're going to be named the Southland, there's really only one conference they can look at uh, to pull from. Well, that's Corey Hogue. Thanks so much as always for joining us. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Thanks again to Corey Hogue for jumping on the program with us. Lots of lots of crazy stuff happening in small college. We'll definitely we'll definitely be keeping a close eye on it in the months ahead. But there's some other news this week. Uh, that's not everything. Uh, let's start with this. Mm -hmm. So Texas has officially, or, or I don't know if it's official as yet, but the report. It, it's more reports, yeah. Yeah, reportedly right now, Texas is hiring Washington defensive coordinator Pete Kwiatkowski. I think that's how you say it. Uh, to be their new defensive coordinator. Uh, he had been actually at Washington since Chris Peterson came from Boise State. He served on mm -hmm. Chris Peterson's staff before that. Is considered to be one of the best defensive coordinators in America, really. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they had a four-year stretch of having the number one overall defense in the Pac-12. 
obviously made a playoff behind the strength of their defense. So on the surface, I mean, it looks like a really good hire. Yeah, I, I'm, I love this hire. <laughs> um, I think that this is one of the best moves that they could have made. I think when, especially when, you know, Marcus Freeman went to Notre Dame, I think that I wasn't as inspired by when Will Muschamp's name came out. Um, I know he kind of shot down that, or he turned it down, I believe. I can't remember exactly what direction they went, but that rumor fizzled out pretty quickly. Sure. Um, but I think I like this more than I would have liked a Will Muschamp hire. Like Washington... I mean, Chris Peterson, we talk about Chris Peterson's creativity at Washington and just kind of what he brought from Boise to there. But the thing that the biggest thing he brought was just, you know, like you said, one of the best defenses in the nation running over five years. And then it kind of continued over to this year with, um, oh, God, I'm forgetting the name, uh, Jimmy Lake. Jimmy Lake Uh, Lake as a head coach who was, uh, I believe, co-DC last year with uh, Kwiatkowski. Or I think, actually, I think somebody So, so the way that it worked, yeah, yeah. yeah, the way that it worked, it was a little confusing for sure. So Jimmy Lake was the, they were both co-defensive coordinators the last two years before this year. This year, obviously, Jimmy Lake was head coach. Kwiatowski was full-time defensive coordinator and called defensive plays. The two years before that, Jimmy Lake called defensive plays. And every year before that, Kwiatowski did. And the reason that that happened was because uh, Kwiatowski basically was willing to give up defensive play calling responsibilities in order to keep Jimmy Lake around. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So um, long story short, you know, he had a big part in why Washington was so damn good and they, he played a big part in why they won the PAC 12 and made the playoff a couple years ago. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I love this hire. I cannot wait to see what he does because he's obviously, he obviously cut his teeth in the Midwest and the West. And so I'm really curious to see what he does with this recruiting region and landscape. Um, but I trust that Sarkeesian, you know, wouldn't have made that hire without, you know, uh, some, some idea of, um, or some faith in him being able to utilize this landscape and, um, scheme to it because especially in the PAC 12, I mean, they're not foreign to open offenses and explosive offense. So I think he obviously knows that a scheme to that, um, because they always played very well against Washington State. Um, I believe Jimmy Lake was notorious for saying, like, yeah, we, it's pretty easy to game plan for those guys. And so he's, this defense is very notorious for being able to match up really well against uh, offenses that predicate, that, that, that a lot of players in Texas, I should say, um, are familiar in seeing. Yeah, one thing that I'll say just in general with this, right, is that I think that I'll actually point at another at another couple of staffs, right? Like I look at mm-hmm. South Carolina and I look at Auburn, what they've done since hiring new coaches, especially mm-hmm. at Auburn, where you bring in Brian Harson, who I think was a very interesting hire. Um, and he kind of gets saddled with these SEC guys, right? Like Derek Mason's yeah. great. I, I think that Derek Mason is somebody that everybody wanted. But, like, you can't tell me that Mike Bobo was his first choice, right? Like, right, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you kind of have to think that this was a situation where Auburn people and, I don't know if it's athletic director, the boosters, I, I have no idea who, but it's clear that somebody jumps in and says, hey, Brian Harson, you got to have Mike Bobo, right? Like, right. Whereas, we got to get an SEC guy. Right, right. Whereas I, for example, I, I look at this situation and I look at the way that Sarkeesian's putting together his staff. He's bringing several guys from Alabama. But, like, that's not, like, bringing in, quote-unquote, SEC guys for the sake of them being SEC guys. You're bringing right. in some of the best staffers in America, right, mm-hmm. with, uh, with Kyle Flood, uh, Jeff Banks, who I think is the unheralded hire of the year in, in mm-hmm. this. Um, you know, and now on the defensive side, you're bringing a guy who 
like you mentioned, came up through the Mountain West and WAC, and then obviously ended up in the Pac-12 where he was very successful. And and look, obviously there are going to be questions about no Texas ties, all that sort of stuff, right? But I, I think that the thing that we know, first of all, is that if you are a Texas and you're good at your job, you're going to be able to recruit. I'm really not worried. Sure, about sure. That, right, you yeah. know, like, and you're bringing in Jeff Banks. You're going to be able to right. recruit. <laughs> He's got whole, familiarity. He, that's the whole job. <laughs> that's the whole deal. That's why you hired him. I'm not worried about the recruiting side. And honestly, at the University of Texas, I, I assume that you can recruit until you prove to me that you can't, not sure. the other way around. Um, you know, but yeah, the other thing with this is that I actually really like uh, actually, let me let me compare it to it like this. Okay, he's obviously a different coach, and I'm not saying he's been as successful, but you know Keith Patterson at Texas Tech, mm-hmm. he had come through the Pac-12. He had coached in the Mountain West, uh, and I think he'd been in the Big 12 before that too. And one of the things that I love about that is that obviously there's so much focus on the SEC and the Big Ten in, in like in the eastern part of America, but with the Mountain West and Pac-12, you have some of the most diverse team styles that you can possibly have. You are, you are covering, you know, everything from the option <laughs> when you're going against Air Force, obviously, to, like you mentioned, the purest of pure air raid when Mike Leach was there, uh, everything in between. We obviously with USC also saw, um, we, we saw the air raid come back. You get mm-hmm. spread, you get power, you get everything. You have to be able to build a defense that can stop anything. And I think that that's actually something where, um, you know, I, I'm not saying that, that Will Muschamp couldn't have done it because obviously I'm sure that he could have, but, um, sure. but, you know, you are talking about a coach who is used to playing different styles. And I think you actually even look back to that, you know, what was ultimately a decimation, a 24-7 decimation at the hands of Alabama in the playoff. Well, like the defense never struggled, right? Like they, right. that was not the issue. They were able to, to and this was, I believe, uh, gosh, was it 2015 that it happened? Um, uh, yeah, I think it was 2015. I think it was very early transition Alabama where they're not quite doing all the crazy stuff, but they're doing mm-hmm. some stuff, right? Right, yeah, and, 24, uh, yeah, it was 24-7, uh, the 2015 season. Right, and I think it was Jake Coker. So that was, uh, yes. a, again, that was like the transition year when they started experimenting a little. But, I mean, they, they were basically able to keep up and, and Alabama just... Oh, no, that was actually Jalen Hurts' freshman year. Oh, well, there you go. 7 of 14 <laughs> uh, for 57 yards back when they were just running 60 times out of the read option. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, I think that that's, I think that's great shape. So I, I think yeah. that it's a really good hire. Um, again, you never, you never know with any one of these kinds of hires, but I'm encouraged by the fact that it seems like Steve Sarkeesian's able to go out, one, and make his own decisions, right, and make his own picks. And the other thing, too, is I think that – Obviously, you hear this stuff about open checkbook, but my God, you're, you're stealing guys from Alabama and Washington, you know, two of, some of the, the places that are willing to pay their guys, right? Like, I think that I saw that Kwiatkowski this year got paid $1.1 million. So you're mm-hmm. probably paying $2 million to do right. this. So, right. I think, and I think, like, you know, when you make the move, when you, when you pony up the cash to get rid of Tom Herman, right? Yes. I think that the, the idea is that, okay – we were putting all this money in. Let's see what this guy got to make sure we get our money's worth, right? Definitely. Because Auburn, I mean, 
Auburn's doing it literally the opposite way, where it's like, we're going to pay all this money to get rid of Gus Malzahn, but we're also not going to quite trust this guy to get it done on his own. So we want you to hire Mike Bobo. Right, right, right. No, no doubt about it. And so I'm encouraged so far. Again, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see how they kind of finish out that staff. We've heard a lot of different names, but, uh, but I think they're off to a really good start. Uh, let's move on just to, uh, for a second to also a few more transfers. So the headline mm-hmm. transfer over the last week uh, is Jason Bean leaving North Texas. Started seven games for them this past year. I, you know, it, it's funny. When you hear that it's happened, you're a little surprised, but then you think about it and you're really just not that surprised. Right. <laughs> right. You're like, yeah, no, that makes, that kind of makes sense. Uh, I mean, it kind of clears up. Well, I expected them to maybe add a quarterback somehow, maybe in yeah. that transfer or Juco sure. or something, but it does clear up the quarterback situation for North Texas where it's like, okay, you at least know that Austin Ani is the leader in the clubhouse now. Um, and, you know, it kind of, it just looked like a weird marriage. It looked like a weird fit. Um, it didn't. It doesn't surprise me that Jason Bean looked around and said, "You know what? Maybe this isn't the best offense for me." Right. I wouldn't be surprised if Seth Latrell said, "Hey, maybe this isn't the best offense for you. <laughs> you should probably look <laughs> elsewhere." Um, I'm really curious to see where he lands because I could see, I could see him maybe trying to give his shot at another Group of Five school, or I could see him dropping down to FCS to a Sam Houston or something to see what what they have that fits him better. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have no feel on where where he could possibly land. Yeah, I, I think that one of the questions too, right, like, not that I'm saying that he can't do, do the position, right, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a crazy athlete, right? Like, he is a crazy right. power five level athlete. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the question was always about, obviously, his accuracy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if he tries to, like you said, go sort of low group of five and and try to play quarterback a little longer but I wonder if we do eventually see him playing something else who knows I mean I, mm-hmm. I think that I think he's certainly talented enough to play quarterback at a school that maybe values his running ability a little more right like mm-hmm. um you know I, I don't know it's, it's hard to say obviously because you, you do also still feel like at the same time this is a quarterback friendly offense and you completed 54 percent of your passes right like right <laughs> At a certain level, you just yeah. have to wonder about that. But, um, I mean, I think that there's – he's clearly super talented, right? Like, we, mm-hmm. we know that for certain. Um, so, it'll, it'll be interesting. I don't know. So, let's, let's move on. Uh, another thing to, to mention, UTEP, I think they've announced one coordinator hire and the other is, like, rumored still. So – we had heard some interesting names that they had brought up when they were in the process of looking. And then it yeah. kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, they hired former Michigan State assistant Dave Warner as their new offensive coordinator. Um, look, here's, here's what I'll cool. say. Here's what I'll say. <laughs> Dave Warner was quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator when Michigan State produced three NFL quarterbacks, right? They produced Connor Cook, Kirk Cousins, and Brian Hoyer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also the offensive coordinator when they went three and nine and when they uh, posted one of the worst offenses I've ever seen during a seven and six season. So, you know, let's call it a mixed bag. Let's also 
I mean, you know, we mentioned this where it's like, you know, you fire, you fire Mike Canales, right? And you're like, hey, this isn't, this isn't working. We're going to go in a new direction, right? And so me and you were like, well, that's weird. The, the offense looked, took, looked like I took a step forward. But yeah. you know what? If they come out and they're like, boom, we're going to hire X, right? We're going we're gonna to steal somebody, you know, the receiver's code from UIW. I don't know. Just through something. Right, right. But just like, we're going to open this offense up. We're going to do something dynamic. <clears throat> nah, they got a guy who wasn't working. <laughs> right. they, they got Dave Warner out of unemployment and said, you, sir, tired of those unemployment checks that aren't coming your way because the federal <laughs> government let you down. You can come be UTEP's offensive coordinator. Listen, we know that the Gavin 600 Hardison. bucks is up. We know. So we know, <laughs> we know March is coming soon, man. So you want to come <laughs> coach Dion Hankins? And it's like, who doesn't want to come coach Dion Hankins? So right, sure. Right, but. Right. Again, you took a man out of retirement. Like, basically, I don't know what Dave Warner's going to do that Mike Canales didn't show this year. Yeah, so to me, to me, this is a downgrade, right? right. Like, I, right. I think that um, – so the name that was rumored for defense that has not been officially announced but has been reported on by a couple places is former Texas A&M linebackers coach Bradley Dale Pebedo. I don't know Pebedo. I, I don't know exactly how to say that correctly, so I apologize to him. But, um, you know, like – I think that that's sort of just like, a, okay, you went from one linebacker's coach to another, right? Like, right. you know, and, and he's coordinated a defense a, a while ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you think like maybe, okay, maybe it's a vision thing. Maybe it's a person. I, I don't know. But like Dave Warner versus Mike Canales just seems like a downgrade, like not like right. a, a different vision. And, and the other thing, like you mentioned with both these guys is it's not, all their fault but both of them were watching football at home with us this year so that's weird right and like at least with like with dale dale pavetto like okay he you know yes he got let go and you know they let tyler santucci take over the linebackers at a&m um but he you know he was an f he was an sec linebackers coach right like he he manned a unit and you know jimbo fisher stuck with him for a couple years so like obviously he did something so like i can see maybe in that direction right yeah that the warner thing i just don't know and the other thing is like what type of offense does does uh dana dimmel think is gonna work because if he's basically saying, hey, run the Kirk Cousins Connor Cook offense, <laughs> right. I don't think you know what kind of recruits you have, sir. <laughs> well, I mean, um, maybe I you think... can run the, uh, the Brian Lewerke <laughs> terrible <laughs> offense. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, like, and granted, like, you look at, you look at those teams with Michigan State and you're like, man, those were, you know, you remember Le'Veon Bell and you remember a lot of these guys. Yeah. You're like, oh, man. Jeremy Langford. Some... Yeah, Jeremy Langford. You're like, oh, okay, he produced some guys and i was like yeah what happens when you didn't have nfl talent <laughs> like right. if you didn't have nfl talent on his side like something tells me he he was a little underwhelming right it's i mean look hey the, the one the one positive i'll give him there is like i think that deon hankins can work himself into uh you know a late nfl fair game. enough but yeah, fair at enough. the same time <laughs> uh, you know we obviously love jacob cowing um yeah. You know, I, I think that uh, that we spent a year having the is Gar- Gavin Hardison good conversation, and I think that Mike Canales to, to Dave Warner is the wrong direction when it comes to having that conversation. Uh, so, you know, I, look, the, the last thing that I'll say about <laughs> these hires is that obviously these, these last two guys, uh, I, I don't think Canales came with them, but obviously Mike Cox came with Dana Dimmel 
from Kansas State, right? So they kind of were trying to recreate the Kansas State thing. Well, now they're trying to recreate O2 Houston because (sighs) both of these guys were on Dana Dimmel's staff there. And I I think, like, something must not have been working, obviously, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of personalities or or just something, right? Like, something clearly was not working between the three of those guys because I just – I don't see them taking a chance, right? That that wasn't what they did here. I didn't see them, um, you know, doing something different, even even saying, I want to go with, the, you know, this type of offense versus this type of offense because they kind of mm. played both types of offense <laughs> the last two years. I don't know. I just don't get it. I, I don't get the point. I don't really yeah. get what the vision is here. I think, like, I'm in one of two minds about it is, is like, I don't know if they just had, like, a cre- – like, both had creative – or I guess – I wonder if Dana Dimmel thought that they maybe should have been better on both sides, right? Sure, and they, sure. and Canales and like um, Canales was like, "Oh, this is what we have, right? This is this is where we are right now. I think we're taking incremental steps forward." When I would kind of agree with more of that, and Dana Dimmel said, eh, "I don't agree with that," right? Or if it was kind of a mutual termination where Canales is like, "I don't like the direction of this program," like sure. you know, like this under, under you know, I I don't know, right? This is me speculating, but because. Again, if, if if it was, I don't know, if it wasn't something like that, I would have expected more ambitious hires, but it seems like he just went to his Rolodex and said, right. hey, who needs a job? Who right. I have this guy's number. Like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a proactive approach. It seems like, ah, crap, these guys are gone, <laughs> as opposed right. to them getting fired and him looking for new ideas. Well, and I feel like I'd be a little bit more sympathetic to that. And I mean, we we make no secrets about the fact that, you know, we want UTEP to, to be successful, right? right. But like, um, I think that the thing that's most discouraging about this deal is that it would be one thing if they ran a very canalis offense in year one, and then mm-hmm. Dimmel was like, we got to move nope. it back towards me. Right. And that worked better. But it was the opposite. The opposite, yeah. <laughs> and um, and and obviously a big part of that is because of personnel. I don't want to understate that, but sure. but at the same but time, they could have added another running quarterback to make right. Dana Demo's offense work again. Yeah. Right. So I, I just that's what's confusing to me. And I don't think that Dave Warner is a bad coach, right? Like right. I think that he's fine. Um, I mean, I think that. But but again, it's just been a long time at this point since we've seen him put together a good offense. I mean, we're talking like 2014, 2015. Like that's, that's yeah. the last time we're thinking, right? When, when they yep. had Connor Cook, who, who wasn't obviously truly an NFL level quarterback, but was a very good college quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so what this kind of comes down to, and I, I don't want to like minimize this, but like, you know, I, what it kind of comes down to is finding your Connor Cook or your uh, Kirk Cousins or your Brian Hoyer. And yeah. And that's really damn hard, <laughs> right? At most, any level, right? Most programs at Michigan State, that. that was almost unheard of until those three guys came in succession. Yeah, and not to mention that obviously you were helping them by having literally the best defense in America for like four straight years. <laughs> right. So, you know, good luck. Uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, and, and we'll close with this: uh, a newly reported change at Houston where apparently defensive coordinator Joe Cawthon, who was on Dana Holgerson's first staff, will not return. And instead, they're going to promote uh, assistant, I believe he was safeties coach, Doug Belk, to now full-time coordinator. So I, 
I because you know what we saw when we saw Houston <laughs> was man, this defense is the problem. Yeah, I, I just feel like this sort of follows up what I've said for a while, which is that I really just don't even. Okay, back when they fired Major Appleway, right? Like the whole mm. deal that they said was there is no buzz around this program, and oh my god, that those times seem exciting looking back. <laughs> Remember expectation. Oh my like, gosh. <laughs> like, like, I don't, and again, like, I'm, uh, every time I bring that up or I bring up, like, you know, firing Major Apple, it's not to say that Major Apple didn't deserve, like, yes, Correct. where Houston should be was not where Major Apple was going to take them, right? right. Obviously. Right. But, which we could have told them at the time, was, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but this was the big swing. This was the big thing where you're like hey we're gonna establish ourselves as like the most intimidating group of five uh program in the south and potentially in the nation if we get back to that point yeah and guess what you have an offensive minded coach whose offense is not working and he, you know what he says you know what let's fire the defensive coordinator because i need to fire somebody because this isn't working and it's like okay cool the defense wasn't great but like I don't know. There's, there's, there are like 12 other things I can name before I say the defensive play calling was the issue. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that one thing that we do need to take into account is that it sounds like Doug Belk was going to get poached, right? Like it mm-hmm. sounds like um, we had so it might have been a proactive thing. Right, right, right. We had seen that he was potentially rumored at Texas. We had seen that he was potentially rumored at Georgia actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as a secondary coach, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, so maybe maybe Dana Holgerson just really wanted to keep him, right? And and I think that's reasonable. I think that that's a reasonable perspective. The thing that, again, is just confusing to me is that I felt like Joe Cawthon did a really good job. Um, and, you know, I was having this conversation with some other people yesterday, but, like, when I looked at that defense play, I never thought that schematics were an issue I never thought that even talent development was an issue I always felt like Mm -hmm. it was sort of bigger picture like I'm trying to think of the word you're like bigger picture like um you know just making mistakes right like making Mm -hmm. little mistakes having a lapse here because like you look at what they did last year I mean obviously Peyton Turner I think was one of the revelations in the state last year I think he was arguably uh you know besides Joseph Osai the most dynamic edge rusher in the state right? Mm-hmm. And, and then you add Grant Stewart, obviously, looks like an NFL player at linebacker right now. And you add uh, Marcus Jones, I, who I think was one of the most underrated cornerbacks in the nation this past year. Like, you had these guys, you had them playing at a, at a high level. But you know, the offense put them in bad positions is obviously part of it. And then it's all these little mistakes, um, you know, these little mental lapses, I guess. Uh, you know, and I think that I think to a large extent, one of the biggest issues and biggest frustrations that we've had with Houston the last couple of years is that they're just not a super disciplined team, you know? And, yeah. and I don't think that that's something that flows solely from the defensive coordinator. I think it kind of, I mean, I don't want to say that I, that we know enough about uh, the internal workings to say this, but you know, I, I, you do start to wonder whether it's flowing from the head coach. Sure. That's fair. I will say like, I, I wonder if it's, an addition by, or I guess like, I don't want to say addition by subtraction, but um, because they did announce Jay Valet as well as the new yes, secondary yes. defensive backs coach. Yes, so great. I'm wondering if it was a combination of the, of that where it's like, okay, let's promote Belk and then we can get Valet to kind of take over the, the secondary. Right. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Kaufman, Kaufman was just the unfortunate right. casualty of that because they needed to 
they kind of, yeah, they needed to do something with that. <laughs> um, sure, sure. So, uh, you know, maybe it was him looking, as opposed to saying, hey, the defense was the problem, as opposed to uh, him saying, hey, let's get younger and maybe more innovative. I don't know. Um, because promoting from within does show that it wasn't a schematic thing, sure, sure. per se, um, as opposed to maybe just some play calling uh, different uh, differences. And, you know, again, him wanting to hold on to potentially the hotshot uh, new young coach. So I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and the thing that we the thing that we obviously don't know is, you know, they could came, come say later that it was a little bit mutual because I do think that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do think that, um, you know, that is sort of in question, you know, whether yeah. whether Joe Cawthon and Dana Holgerson were personalities who would get along. They had never worked together before this, obviously. So maybe, you know, he, they just decided it was time and, and he wants to look for other things. And, you know, that that obviously that reading of it has sort of its own indictments, I guess, but it is different, right? It's different than obviously just sort of saying like, what are you doing here, right? right. But the wording was always will not return and not that he was fired. I, I do think that that is relevant, but mm-hmm. you know, we'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously we're, <laughs> we've been waiting for Houston to have their moment for a little while now and now they'll have to try and have it in 2021 without some of their best players <laughs> who are obviously going to be gone. So anyway. <sighs> That's going to do it for us. Thanks again to Corey for jumping on the program uh, with us. Thanks again to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. As always, you can find all of our work at texfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. You can become a subscriber at texfootball.com slash subscribe. For Ishmael Johnson, I'm Shahan Jaraja. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will be with you guys again next week.